Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Welcome into the Fifth Down, Houston Chronicles, Texans podcast. I'm Jerome South, columnist for the Chronicle, along with Jonathan Alexander, who is a beat writer covering the NFL and the Texans for the Chronicle. Jonathan, you were uh, in Vegas last week. Uh, how was a Vegas Super Bowl? <laughs> Vegas was a lot, uh, especially for a Super Bowl. It's just like everything going on all at once. Uh, I was trying to. I swear, I, I never felt like I had any rest time at all. Um, uh, it was definitely a good experience. CJ Stroud got a lot of love there. Uh, saw some other players, Nico Collins, uh, Dalton Schultz, Blake Cashman, Will Anderson Jr. Uh, you, you know, Texas got a lot of a lot of love at the NFL honors. CJ and Will winning offensive and defensive rookie of the year. D'Amico Ryan's might have gotten a little bit of uh, – Rob there, and then, and then of course Andre Johnson uh, was named to the Hall of Fame, and you broke that uh, that night. So that was, it was a big night for the Texans. Yeah, let's let's talk about them overall. I, I know you've been to Super Bowls before, been around around uh, media that covers the league and the Texans. I know you've just been on the beat for a couple of years, but Texans have been off the radar uh, in recent years. It, it was a little bit different now being around and people know that you cover the Texans because they're one of the, I, I guess I can call them a hot team, but they're at least interesting now when they weren't very interesting two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at last year and nobody was paying attention to them and it was it was evidenced by they got no primetime games on their schedule. So only a small portion of the population was watching them and then they got flexed at the end of the year because they were so good in that week 18 game. And then, of course, the two playoff games were primetime games as well. But, you know, this, you know, having C.J. Stroud and having Will Anderson Jr. be the offensive and rookie of the year, along with D'Amico Ryan's the success they had, and they play an exciting brand of football. And then you also get Andre Johnson in the Hall of Fame. You know, that just means that a lot more people are going to be paying attention. There are people going to look at this team and say, oh, do we need to pay attention to them now? And I guarantee you they'll get at least two primetime games on the schedule this upcoming year um, because a lot of people are wondering what D'Amico Ryans is cooking in Houston. And, you know, that's just a credit to what they built in 2023. To come from where they were before to now is just a huge credit to what they've done in such a short period of time. And getting the first Hall of Famer, uh, from a player that played for the Texans and Andre Johnson, a receiver, grew up in Miami, came to Houston, the number three pick in the 2003 draft, the second year of the Texans' existence, and was a dominant player throughout his uh, tenure here, and he's still a mainstay in the city of Houston. You would tell people what since you got of the pride in the organization getting a player into the Hall of Fame, and certainly there's another one coming in a few years when J.J. Watt becomes eligible, like getting that guy here into the Hall of Fame, it, it means something special for the organization and the city. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, as you know, Andre Johnson is the first player in Texans franchise history who was drafted by the Texans, who played the majority of his career with the Texans, 
to be put into the Hall of Fame. They didn't have any other any other guys with that with those credentials. Andre Johnson was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was the second first round pick ever drafted because their first year was 20, 2002, correct? Audrey Johnson was drafted number three overall in 2003. So he he's definitely one of theirs homegrown. He embodies who the Houston Texans were. You know that. Um, they relate to him. He Audrey Johnson talked about it at his press conference. He said he had grown men telling him that he, they were crying, um, you know, at the fact that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He was a superhero for a lot of those fans. So he means so much to a team that, even for me, like looking at this team from outside perspective, kind of coming in, they were they've been treated like the little brothers in the league. That like, they didn't matter, even in the state of Texas, they, they didn't matter to the Cowboys. And and now, I would argue that this means that they have a seat at the table, um, and, and they're building that seat. And, and and now people must pay attention to them because they belong. They have accolades, and, and it, it looks like that they're they're going to continue, uh, to have success as long as. Uh, you know, they continue on the path that they are at. And one short version of reality in the NFL, if you have a coach who, with some personality you and, and you win games, you, you're going to be talked about. You have a star quarterback, <laughs> you're going to be talked about. And C.J. Stroud, I mean, we, we can't say enough about this young man and the type of person that he is and what he – puts on display throughout the season that he seemed to hit another gear here during Super Bowl week in the last week or so, or even after the Texans were out of the playoffs. Every interview I've seen him on, people want to talk to him. He's good at, at talking. <laughs> he's good at representing himself, but he he's all about the team and all about the city of Houston and about the Texans. He, he really uh, he put himself on the map with his play. But he took it to another level here in the last few weeks. Am I right about that? Yeah, you're exactly right. I followed him around for two and a half hours on Thursday around Radio Row. And I just saw, I was like in his little entourage where he had his security guard, his manager, his marketing manager, and, and somebody else. And you could just kind of feel like all eyes were on CJ Stroud. Everybody wanted a piece of him. I'd never been a part of anything like that before. And I asked him, it was funny. I was like, I told him, I said, CJ, man, this is crazy. He said, I was like, what do you think about that? And he said, it's funny. He said, it went like this last year. Um, <laughs> it just, just shows how much a year can change what success can do for you in the NFL. Um, but just everywhere we went, somebody, it was, he had obligations already and in, in, in places that he had to interview and more people just, hey, CJ, can I get an interview? And, and they had this, uh, marketing guy had to deny a lot of people. Brian Bernie, um, Cam Newton was able to get a little impromptu interview, and that uh, proved to be an interesting discussion as well. But it, it just it just shows how many people, or or no, it just shows how CJ has kind of put the Texans on the map, and how he will continue to put the Texans on the map. And like you said, how important a quarterback is for a franchise and becoming relevant and becoming what other people outside of Houston want to see. Um, and, uh, man, I, I just can't imagine if he continues to have a success, what it'll look like, you know, a couple of years from now. But right now, his star, he is definitely one of the most popular stars in the NFL right now. That's outstanding. The, the, there was news this week as well uh, off the field. Can you kind of explain to people um, what it all means? Like the, uh, the judge ruled that uh, Janice McNair doesn't have to seek an independent 
uh, doctor's evaluation um, because one of her sons, um, Carrie McNear, had argued that she should go on independent medical exam to see to judge her mental capacity at 87 years old. He says she's limited in her ability to conduct business is the, the term from the lawsuit. Um, what does it mean for the Texans? What does it mean for fans, uh, this in-house family battle between the McNairs? Yeah, so if we go back to November 27th, Carrie McNair, Janice's oldest son, who does not own any part of the Texans, filed for guardianship over Janice McNair and her estate um, because he was saying, like you mentioned, that um, she had, ever since the stroke she had in January 22, she had lost a lot of her uh, personality. So um, as part of this guardianship case, he and his attorneys were arguing that she ought to undergo an independent medical exam, somebody who does not know Janice McNair. Janice McNair, on the other end, her attorneys, as well as Cal McNair, her youngest son's attorneys, were arguing that she had two doctors examine her in January, and they determined that she had great health. So she didn't need an independent medical exam, nor did she want one. So the judge had to decide between those two arguments. And had... Um, this happened where it, this uh, the judge's ruling really will um, go towards like it'll determine a lot towards this case. Like if the judge had determined that she needed to be an independent medical, she needed an independent medical exam, then who knows what the exam would have shown or, or what it would have revealed. But they don't have to do the exam. So that goes in the favor of Janice McNair. Say Cal McNair won guardianship, he probably could have got control of the Texans. I don't know that that is his motivation, but uh, it just seems likely of the timing. It just, you know, from outside perspective. But now that the judge has ruled that she doesn't need an independent medical exam, um, then that definitely goes in Janice's favor. She can go about her way. She doesn't she can stand by what her two doctors say. And they say that she's in good health and she can conduct business. Um, so that was a win definitely for Janice McNair and Cal McNair today. Yeah. And one of the things that people might not have, uh, fully grasped, we, we call Cal McNair, uh, owner of the Texan because he, he pretty much is with his particular title, but, uh, Janice McNair is, has that title of owner as well. Um, and so if her other son is trying to, you know, take guardianship of his mother, then it probably came with some effects on her doing business as the, uh, the owner of the Texans. And so, uh, sounds like this will continue as is, but clearly, um, there's, there, there, there might be another, more, there's going to be more, more court cases involved here. I would assume that it's not just going to go away. Even if the judge here in this case rules has ruled against, uh, Carrie McNair. Yeah, they'll probably try to do some appeals and they'll try to fight, try to fight this to the end. But right now, Janice McNair definitely has the advantage, given that she doesn't have to have an independent exam done. And Kerry McNair has never been involved with the Texans at all. He, he ran the McNair's other businesses, but Cal has always been part of the Texans. At diff he had different titles when his dad was the owner and before his father passed away. Uh, and then he elevated to the top seat, as it were. Uh, and has been running the team uh, since his dad passed away. So uh, the Texans, a couple of another breaking news here 
uh, get back onto the football field, I saw that the 49ers fired their defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, um, just on Wednesday afternoon. What do you make of that when it wasn't like the defense lost the Super Bowl, right? I mean, I did, it, it, seemed, it seemed like an odd thing to happen so quickly in, in that situation. So, you know what? I actually have been talking to some of the 49ers reporters about this. You know, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle is a Hearst company, too. So I was talking to the reporter who covers the 49ers for the San Francisco Chronicle, um, a really good writer. His name is slipping my mind right now. Um, but it was, you know, and and kind of paying attention to them, it it just never seemed like Steve Wilkes and Kyle Shanahan were in line. It didn't matter how good Steve Wilkes played. One thing you should look at too, is like Steve Wilkes has a definitely different system than D'Amico Ryans, who was previously defensive coordinator, uh, with the 49ers. Uh, but he kept all his same staff and he, and he kept kind of the same defense. He didn't really change anything. Um, and I, I remember there was one time where the 49ers got got beat. Uh, I can't remember which team it was. You know, it was one of their few losses in the season. And uh, Steve Bowles caught an all-out blitz. And Kyle Shanahan, at the end, uh, and they end up losing that game. Kyle Shanahan called Steve Wilkes out. I kind of knew that. That was the beginning and the end. I kind of knew that if unless the 49ers won the Super Bowl, then Wilkes was going to get fired. And even if they had won the Super Bowl, he might have still got fired. Yeah. Um and I think just, he just it, a difference in personality and just didn't click because it, it's it's rare for a person to have that kind of job be successful at it. The 49ers were one of the top two or three defenses in the league and it only lasts one year. You know it's it's gotta be more personal than X's and O's. Yeah, absolutely. And the reporter's name is Eric Branch. I want to make sure I get that right. But I, I was looking at some reports and, and I think uh Steve Wilson was the first coach outside of the Shanahan family um, to work under Kyle Shanahan and to be in a position uh, of that magnitude. So they just, like you said, they just didn't align together and they had a difference, probably had a difference in opinions and, and, and Kyle Shanahan. I, I don't think that you can put that blame, that loss on Steve Wilkes. Sure, um, the, the um, Chiefs went down and scored the touchdown then overtime to win the game. But the Texans, I mean, not Texans, the 49ers offense was just, called by Kyle Shanahan also did not score a touchdown um, in the first. They settled for a field goal. They struggle all game against the Chiefs defense, and that's credit to the Chiefs defense and Eric Spagnuolo um, for the defense that they play. They were number two in the league, league the whole year. Having said that, you know, the offense couldn't get, get much going, so I just think it was a difference in opinions, and Shanahan was probably looking for a scapegoat, and he found one in Steve Wolf. <laughs> Man, that's that's a rough way to, to run a guy out of town over, and, and it was a tough loss. Let's let's talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. Uh, we both said it last week, like yeah, forty nine is really good, but it's just you just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes showed again that he he's a difference maker. Um, and I, it, you can argue about whether or not he's the best player in the NFL, but he's certainly uh, the most accomplished player in the league right now with what he's done winning MVPs, winning multiple Super Bowls, and having his team in the hunt year after year after year. Yeah, and I think uh, that is um, three Super Bowls before the age of 30, um, which is, you know, wild to think about. Um, Yeah, he's just been magnificent. And even throughout that game, you just kind of never felt that, even though they were struggling, you never felt like, 
Patrick Mahomes was out of the game and they kept it close. And that that fumble um, on that special team fumble on that punt return was huge because it gave Patrick Mahomes in the offense a clear shot at the end zone. And and they had um, the guy wide open. I, I can't remember who it was he threw it to to score that touchdown off the top of my head. Um, but that touchdown he threw really kind of changed momentum in the in Kansas City's favor um, and, and finally got them going. Um, and like, yeah, because they, they struggled in the first half. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you know, only three points in, in a half for, for, for the Chiefs, not, not good at all. But, um, yeah, it, it, you gave them, you gave them some juice. Like they, they needed a boost to get rolling. And, and it, it just seemed like the 49ers needed to have much more of a lead than they had it, as well as they played in the first half. To only have a seven-point lead at halftime, that that, that was kind of disappointing. With as well as they played, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the 49ers, they just never. I, I, it was it was like a a, a slug fed, just defense. Too many turnovers. The Chiefs kind of forced fumble on Christian McCaffrey early in that first quarter. There, the 49ers just never really took advantage. They, I thought they had opportunities, but every time they got down in that red zone, the Chiefs' defense was just too good, and then. At the end, they finally allowed Patrick Mahomes to get going, and and he was magnificent. He, even when they wasn't working with th- with throat, he was using his legs to score to get rushing yards. I think he he had uh, over fifty yards rushing in that game, which was huge, uh, especially late. Yeah, I think he had sixty six. He led the team in rushing, I believe. Yeah, yeah, led the team in rushing, and I, I had never seen Patrick Mahomes run like that before. Um, but they they weren't expecting it. They had, they used some some read option plays and. And uh, the Chiefs just weren't uh, – I mean, the, the 49ers weren't expecting those plays, weren't expecting Patrick Mahomes to take off, and he he really gassed him, and he was, he was really key. He really showed that he's – if he's not the GOAT, he's 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 kind of narrowing in on Tom Brady pretty quickly. Yeah, and, he, he, certainly, he certainly made it worthy of conversation now, and especially with as young as he is and how much more he has. And that's one of the things, to bring it back to the Texans – I mean, the Texans went ten and seven. The Chiefs were only eleven and six. So only one game difference between those two teams, but it feels like a world of difference between them in terms of the ability to win. But I'm, I, I try to tell people the Texans are far away from where the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Forty ers are, but they're closer because they have a quarterback who can get it done. And when you have a difference maker. And we'll see if uh, C.J. Stroud takes that next step to advance as its second year where the game should actually slow down even more for him in his second year than it already did as well as he played as a rookie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is arguably the greatest of all time. C.J. Stroud definitely has a bright, promising young future. I think he's going to be a great player too if he continues. I think really, to me, honestly, uh, I I thought that Patrick Mahomes' weapons weren't great this year. Uh, aside from Travis Kelsey. And I think the really the biggest difference between the Texans and the Chiefs, to be honest with you, when you factor in all of that, is that how good this defense was. This defense was dominant. The Chiefs' defense was dominant. They were number two in the entire NFL um, in, in total yards per game. So it played two in, in Two in points allowed as well. Yeah, absolutely, in points allowed, yeah. And in the playoffs, that matters because offense is – it offense – it come up, becomes a lot tougher to get points in, in offense in the playoffs when you're playing against the better teams in the NFL. 
And I think that's going to be the difference from the Texans. I think D'Amico Ryan recognizes that he wants to build this defense. He's going to probably have to replace quarterback. The Chiefs have two shutdown cornerbacks. Uh, so it made it hard for Brock Purdy. And it's why their uh, wide receivers couldn't get off. And I, I just think that's a learning lesson for the Texans, that they've got to continue to build their defense and continue to develop C.J. Stroud. And if they can if they can get a defense, they can go far in the playoffs. They can they can, you know, go farther than what the division around because they haven't been to the AFC Championship game in their in their history before. So I think that's going to be critical for them. They've, they've got the quarterback. Uh, they got to continue to build around them, but they got to build a defense and they got to make it down. Yeah, because there are not a lot of shootouts in the playoffs. It's, it's You're playing good teams and good defenses and, you know, you you every now and then you'll get one of those games that's up and down, but more, more than likely in the playoffs, it's the the better defense. Doesn't matter how good your offense is, you're gonna run up against teams that can shut you down or at least slow you down. Uh, and so you have to be able to turn around and slow them down as well to keep keep the games in perspective. And it's so and Texas have a defensive coach. Tamika Ryan's is a little different of a coach than you would imagine for a defensive guy because he took chances, he'd go for it on fourth down, he paid attention to the analytics, he wasn't overly conservative in the way that they operated offensively. But you know if he has his choice, and he's going to have his choice, they'll be drafting defensive players to build up that side of the ball uh, when the draft comes around. We'll be talking about that, obviously, over the next month or so. But I'd be shocked if he doesn't get the first-round pick isn't a defensive player. Yeah, because, you, I mean, aside from the fact that he's publicly said that he wants to build a defensive line, um, he's got two free agents in um, Jonathan Grenard and Sheldon Rankins who are free agents. It's no guarantee those guys will be back. And then you got cornerback with Steven Nelson is a pending free agent, a starting cornerback, and he's going to want that other side. So I, to me, it's going to be a defensive lineman or a cornerback, that first-round pick. To me, those are their biggest needs. Those are where you would draft one of those guys, along with the receiver. I think that's possible too. But I think it's most likely to be a defensive player, uh, just because it makes sense. Just pending what all their free agent holes are and, and, and what they potentially need to fill. Sounds good. Hey, uh, good stuff. What uh, what's next on tap for the Texans here in the next couple of weeks? We got a little bit of a break, but we're gonna be doing a lot of bit of draft and previewing the draft and previewing our free agency. You got the combine coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, so I know you all like this might have been the latest I've ever talked about draft stuff because the tech, <laughs> Texans aren't in contention for a top five pick. But it uh, should be interesting, though. You got number 20 there. That's the thing. It's like you, 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 when you pick that far down, you just you pull names out of a hat as to who will be available. <laughs> it's not as easy as it was uh, a year ago where you pretty much knew it was going to be one of two or three players. And actually, the Texans ended up with two of the top three players in the draft last year, pulled off a coup. I don't think they'll be making any moves to go that far up in the draft this year, but it, it still will be fascinating to see uh, how they add to this team and they keep trying to build toward where they can play on the Super Bowl Sunday instead of watching it as they've done for the first 20-plus years of the organization. That's Jonathan Alexander. Catch us next week here on The Fifth Down. Thanks to Pioneer Audio for producing the podcast. And uh, read all of our stuff and all of Jonathan's writing in the Houston Chronicle at HoustonChronicle.com. Thanks a lot. See you next week. <laughs>